And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. everybody. Thanks for joining us on the sustainability story. My name is Matt Orsog with the CFA Institute. And our guest today is Sandra Taylor, founder and president of Sustainable Business International. Good to talk to you, Sandra. Thank you. Good morning. Well, Sandra comes to us from kind of the uh, a very interesting space, kind of the, the ag space. She started uh, her sustainability journey, if you will, uh, at Starbucks, helping them be a pioneer in reporting and, and measuring sustainability. And now she's an expert in the world of sustainability, want, sustainable wine. And she's here in Charlottesville, uh, where I'm located, to uh, help the booming wine industry in Virginia become more sustainable. So I've just just framed that, uh, and now we'll jump into the conversation. So tell us a little bit about your sustainable journey, Sandra, and then we'll go from there. Well, you know, I started working in sustainability actually before Starbucks, but Starbucks was obviously the most important part of my career. I started working on this uh, when I worked for Kodak, and mm -hmm. um, at the time we called it corporate citizenship. And right. it was mostly philanthropy, but also, you know, Kodak was, we got a lot of environmental activists protesting Kodak because we were the, the largest polluter in upstate New York. Right. We happened to be the largest employer in upstate New York too. So that's kind of where I got started. And then I was fortunate to be recruited to Starbucks. So I, I sort of describe it as going from the dark side to the light <laughs> and going to a company. Starbucks was al already had a commitment to what we called at the time leading from the heart. Mm -hmm. So very, very committed to doing, doing good in the world, but hadn't figured out how to integrate sustainable practices into business strategy. And that was really my job. Uh, mm -hmm. to help the business leaders integrate sustainability into their practices and make it a business driver as well. And then how did you come to the, the sustainable wine world? Well, you know, I, my very, very first, I've had lots of careers. We could do a whole podcast just on career <laughs> transitions. But my very first career was in the U.S. Foreign Service. It was only, I was only there for six years. But one of my assignments was in Geneva at the U.S. Mission to the U.N. in Geneva. And on the weekends, I would go with colleagues, European colleagues, to nearby France, to Burgundy, to Beaune, to Dijon. At the time, mm -hmm. I didn't really know anything about wine except, you know, what I liked at diplomatic dinners. And we would visit mm -hmm. wineries and vineyards. And I absolutely fell in love with wine culture, with the people, with the cuisine, with the whole concept of uh, grape growing and winemaking. And I've been, it, it was a hobby. And when I got to Starbucks and really became more knowledgeable, and actually, I guess I should say an expert in sustainable agriculture, I started looking at wine, my hobby, and wondering what was going on 
in the wine industry from the perspective of sustainability. And there was some, but not very much. And so that became a way for me to combine my interests, my hobby with my you know, professional expertise. And I decided to do an MBA in Bordeaux for fun. <laughs> I wanted an MBA for various reasons. I had worked in business all those years, but never studied business. Mm-hmm. So I did what's called a wine MBA at the Bordeaux School of... I, I remember when we first talked, you, you, you told me that. I was like, is that really a thing? It is. Wine, it is. Right? I mean, it's a traditional <laughs> MBA, totally, right, right. you know, certified and, you know, curriculum and credentialed. But all the cases are wine cases. Right. There were a couple of, you know, spirits cases, Diageo. We studied Diageo in corporate mm-hmm. finance, but everything else, marketing, finance. And I did a thesis on supply chain which was another one of our major courses was supply chain. And mine was yeah, on that makes sense. Yeah, what yeah. motivates sustainability in wine supply chains. And I studied several regions. And right. so that's kind of how I combined my sustainability with my wine interest. I'd like to think a lot of people listening are, are pausing the podcast and then Googling wine MBA. Yeah. <laughs> to see, oh, oh. I want to do oh, that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it was great. I, actually, I have to say, I don't know why I didn't expect it to be so much fun. It was fun right. because the people, yeah. these were all, uh, it, it was done in English and it was a cohort, a global a cohort from around the world. Yeah. Um, some of whom were had grown up in family-owned businesses but had never studied business. So they knew about wine, but they didn't know anything about business. So we had a lot of fun. We drank some good wine and yeah. ate well, uh, but we studied hard as well. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I, I, I take your word for it. From where you are now, I, I can see that's the case. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going in the sustainable agriculture space, time at Starbucks a little bit more deeply. I, I remember I before I was here at CFA about 20 years ago, I was working for a corporate governance rating firm. It was Governance Metrics International that's now part of MSCI. And this was about 2000, 2001. I started, I was there a couple of years. And it was just when corporate social responsibility reporting and sustainable reporting started to take off a little bit. And you started to see players who were doing doing well in their, you know, and took it seriously, the sustainable you know, reporting. It wasn't just a shiny pamphlet and then a shiny, you know, 10 page report and then a shiny 100 page report. There was some substance there. And I remember Starbucks was one of the ones that was a pioneer and a lot of the sustainable, well, sustainable ag, because that's what they were, you know, that's their business, uh, but sustainable reporting. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you were kind of present at the creation of that world, you know, where we've come from, where we are and where we're going in the, you know, sustainable ag, sustainable reporting space. Yeah. You know, Starbucks, when I arrived at Starbucks, just in terms of reporting, Starbucks produced some beautiful CSR reports with great photos of right. baristas cleaning up the beach. and But the CEO, who was my boss, and the chairman, Howard Schultz, both wanted to show not only for baristas, but also just the market in general, that sustainability was really a critical aspect of our business. 
so we started doing reporting that was, I, I think, groundbreaking. We had our report assured by an outside firm. We set metrics by each business unit for how that business unit was going to accomplish our sustainability goals, mm-hmm. usually four months before the report was to be done, finalized. These business managers were an- getting a little anxious to make sure they had accomplished their goals. During quarterly business reviews, we looked at how are we doing? These are the goals we've set at the beginning of the year. So it was really a lot like what we wanted was to, to develop a report that was a lot like our financial report that could give uh, stakeholders confidence in what we were doing and what we were saying, that we weren't greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that we actually had set goals and we were measuring. And if we didn't meet our goal, we would say so. And we would describe and tell why we didn't meet the goal. Uh, we went through something called a materiality assessment, a lot like mm-hmm. immateriality in the financial world. So right. when we did this, nobody else was doing this, but we just felt like it was the right thing to do. And we wanted to be a leader in not only in sustainable practices, but in sustainable reporting as well. Yeah, it seemed, you know, looking at things today, looking at the world today, it seems that the rest of the world is is caught up a bit uh, in the reporting side of things. I remember you saying that uh, you, you guys developed a standard for the industry and kind of offered it to the industry as a, as a, as a reporting standard. And now you see across the board, across industries, more more reporting around and the big discussion around materiality, what's material, whether it's ag, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's software, whatever it is. Uh, where do you see things, you know, in the, in the world you are now, you're looking at more, you know, it's the same, it's the same ag space, just a different part of it. Where do you see the, the sustainable agriculture world going in the future? So I like to describe, talk about the triple bottom line, kind of a, you know, a new way, it's not that new, but a different way of accounting than the traditional bottom line. And that includes both environmental responsibility, social responsibility, but also economic viability. And so for me, sustainability has to include financial and economic viability. If it, for Mm -hmm. business, if business isn't successful, then it, there's, won't, they won't be able to do anything to help the environment or social justice. So it's really important right. for us to think of sustainability uh, in the ag space and wine and coffee, and even beyond that as something that's the intersection of those three things. Now, when you look at organic agriculture and even biodynamic agriculture, their focus is, is exclusively Uh, For organics, it's exclusively on no use of chemicals. But there isn't any focus on energy reduction, climate change, social responsibility. For biodynamics, it's a bit, it's, it's, a lot of people describe biodynamics as organic on steroids because it goes even beyond the decision to forego the use of chemicals. And it includes certain prescribed preparations. So there's only one organic uh, biodynamic certification globally. And and the standards are the same anywhere in the world. And for any type of crop, uh, not just wine. 
and it, it involves developing certain preparations, herbal preparations to be used on, on crops and adding those to crops at spe- on specific dates. It's a, you know, some people describe it as a little bit of hocus pocus. It's been around since the 1920s and, yeah. but it produces some high quality wine. So it's hard for, for wine producers to, the naysayers to ignore biodynamics because it, there are some there's some great wine being produced. However, if there's a bad year, a bad crop, bad weather, you lose your entire crop. There's no economic viability. So I'm a proponent of sustainability because it allows some moderate use of chemicals to preserve the crop because I think that's important. Um, farmers need to be able to be financially successful or at least financially viable to pay workers, to stay in business. And sustainability is more balanced between all of those things. Yeah. I'm glad you, you know, when we talked before, we, you, you, you schooled me in the differences between, you know, sustainable, organic and biodynamic. And I, I'd heard a little bit about biodynamic, but I didn't know the details of it. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating. I've just I've, I've jumped down that rab- rabbit hole a little bit in my spare time since we talked mm-hmm. before, okay. but there, it's, it's very interesting. And like you said, it seems a, a little bit of hocus pocus, or it's, it's very strict. Yeah. I think not not hocus pocus. That's not, yeah. that's, not, that's not the right word, but it's it's very strict. Like you have to plant this in this way with this and through this process. But it's intriguing that uh, that the standard is the same all around the world. I think our garden at home is biodynamic, but just, just because we don't know what we're doing <laughs> and we don't use any chemicals. Uh, we get, we get some good tomatoes though. But I, so I, I, I think it's good to kind of differentiate between those three. Cause I think, you know, coming from the ESG world, vocabulary and acronyms, uh, can be very confusing. So I want to jump in a little bit more about just the sustainable wine industry you know, how is that, you said you, you came from the West Coast where this is a little farther along the sustainable winemaking than it is in Virginia. And just tell us a little bit about what is that? I'm very curious to kind of jump into, you know, I have an expert here in front of me, jump into one industry deeply about sustainability. And what does that mean? You know, what is, what is sustainable wine? How does it work? Give us some of the details. We'll give folks a little bit of homework, maybe a little bit later, but, but you know, what does that mean to be a sustainable winemaker? And what's the, where are we and where are we going? Yeah, I like to talk about certified sustainable. So you'll hear me say that term a little bit more because, you know, lots of people say, oh, I'm sustainable, but, you know, they decide what that means. They come up with their own definition. But in the wine sector, there's a lot of movement towards certified sustainable. So many regions of the world, New Zealand was probably the first, Lodi, California, all of California. There's four different certifications in California. They're all very similar. Oregon, Argentina. And as I go through the list, you'll hear it's mostly the so-called new world of wine. And there are probably a number of reasons why that's the case in Argentina, in Chile. So in France and Italy, this isn't is this is this not part of what they do? No. So Italy does. Oh, okay. I think in 2016, Italy adopted uh, a certified sustainable program. They're still persuading wineries to join mm-hmm. because you know it's it's rigorous. They're all rigorous. Right. They require 
certain practices for when you spray chemicals, how you spray chemicals, very strict documentation of when you spray. And it actually leads producers to spray less because they discover they only spray when it's absolutely necessary, not when their grandfather sprayed or, you know, or just on a regular basis. It also involves reducing water use, energy, expanding renewable energy in the winery. So there are any number of ways, requirements for being certified sustainable. And they're, they're similar in, in all these different parts of the world, but, um, but they tend to be much uh, focused more on regional requirements, you know, kind of regional uh, pests mm-hmm. or uh, regional weather terroir, as they, as we like to talk about it. In France, there is no a certified sustainable program. There is, in Europe, there tends to be much more movement toward organic, mm. um, which I don't, you know, disparage. But as I said, I also like, like programs that include social responsibility, mm-hmm. as well as uh, energy responsibility. Good. And, wa- and water use. And yeah. water use. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So those programs, uh, the organic ones in Europe, which is growing in France and in, other, in Austria and other places, uh, they're slowly developing sustainable, certified sustainable programs, but typically within sub-regions, you know, not national programs that you would find, say, in New Zealand or in South Africa. But it's all good. You know, it all leads to better management of land use, although organic has no requirements around reduction of emissions. And I think today, because of our growing concern about climate change, that needs to be part of any region's program. Yeah. It's my feeling. Yeah. And what's the, what's the, for, for, for our local listeners, you know, we're in Virginia uh, and the, the wine, you know, I moved down here six, seven years ago and I was surprised because I didn't know anything about I don't know much about wine, but I didn't know when I thought of wine, I thought of, you know, Europe, France and Italy and California and Argentina and New Zealand and South Africa. But I didn't know anything about that. There was a burgeoning and now booming wine industry here in, uh, in, in and around Charlottesville, uh, but in, in wider Virginia as well. And so they're kind of starting things from a, from a, or they're not as far as long as a California or an Oregon in the United States. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the companies here or what the, 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 you know, your company, but the vineyards here, uh, and, and, and it's a smaller footprint than, you know, your big California wineries. What's that like? Yeah. Well, I've been aware of the Virginia wine industry for many, many years because I lived for quite a number of years uh, in Washington, D.C. So Charlottesville or Virgin- Loudoun County wineries, that was an easy weekend trip. So that, mm-hmm. you know, it's an interesting uh, wine region. The one thing that really has impressed me is how much the quality of wine has improved in Virginia. And I think that's been a real focus of the wineries, especially around the Charlottesville area that called the Monticello Wine Trail. Um, mm. So those wineries have been really focused on quality. They've also have a desire to um, to export their wines or distribute their wines around the U.S. Um, it's a different mm. business model in Virginia. It's mostly what I call a tourism model. So most people visit the wineries from around Virginia 
from the D.C. area, from, you know, nearby Mm -hmm. and from Maryland. They come to Virginia for a wine experience in the winery itself. But you don't find many wines, Virginia wines, on wine lists of restaurants in other cities. And that's really that's part of the goal of the industry. And so it's it's twofold. I think it's quality. So they're competing with, you know, high quality wines from um, California, Oregon, other parts of the U.S. But I, but they believe, it's some of them, some of the leaders in the industry, especially in the Charlottesville area, believe that a su- sustainability can be part of that effort uh, and branding of Virginia wine to help promote the wines in other parts of the country. And that's certainly been the case. New York recently adopted a sustainable program. So that's really what I, one of the reasons why I decided to move here. I mean, I had a choice of living, moving to California or moving to France. The pandemic didn't make that quite as attractive as it might have been when I first had the idea uh, because my family's nearby. So I'm excited, though, to be uh, helping the Virginia wine industry first educate the industry about what sustainability is because i think you know when as i talk to producers around the state they say oh well we can't be organic because of the climate but we're not talking about organic we're talking about a balance as i said earlier between sustainable practices in the vineyard responsible practices in the community and being environmentally responsible. And there are ways to do that, even in the tourism model, I think. Now, what's the, is there a standard that's developing or are they using a California standard or, or how does that work just because they're, they're at an earlier stage? Yeah, well, I have proposed to help the industry develop a standard that fits Virginia. So, you know, I don't think that it makes sense for for me or anybody to come in and say, oh, you should do what they do in California because the climate is so different. The kind of the maturity of the industry is very, very different as well. Um, So what I've, what we're looking at is how do we develop a sustainability standard and program that is unique and works in, in Virginia specifically. Yeah. And that's interesting in that, you know, I've, I've been in this world too long to see, you know, all of these standards come up and there are, you know, I'm, and I'm looking at more broadly, you know, what does an SEC or, or a Canadian regulator or a European regulator want to, want to propose around reporting or whatever it may be. But this industry is very unique in that, you know, like you said, the weather's different everywhere. The pests are different everywhere. The soil is different everywhere. And so the standard has to be based on what what you're doing in California or what you're doing in Italy or what you're doing in Virginia. And so that'll be very interesting. It's not as easy to transport one standard from, from one place to the next. I'm sure they rhyme quite a bit, but, uh, but that's, that's quite interesting. And uh, you've got your work cut out for you. That should, that should be interesting. Yeah. Well, we're starting, I have a team of people working with me who've done this in Napa and they've done this in Oregon. And one person in particular just finished a program in New York state. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, did not, and this, the person who worked on this had experience in Oregon and recognized that you couldn't trans transfer what was going on in Oregon to uh, New York, but it could be 
translated, I think, into uh, yeah. what's appropriate. And so that's that's really what, what we have in mind. Uh, there are different grapes, unique indigenous grapes right. um, that are maybe not as resistant to, that are more resistant to pests than some what's called Vitis vinifera, which is Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But some of those are, they're producing wine from those grapes as well in Virginia and in some instances very successfully. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. But before we do, we always try to give our uh, our listeners a little bit of homework. So if they're, you know, we've we've talked for 20, 30 minutes about this, but of course there's much more, much more to learn. Short of a, a wine MBA, maybe. What can they read? What can they listen to? How can they get more information on what we're talking about today? Well, I have to put in a plug. I've written a book <laughs> on this. <laughs> it's called The Business of Sustainable Wine. And some very interesting case studies about what's happening in the wine industry. And I go through all the regions where there are sustainability programs. So I think, and you know, and I'm told by friends and others who've read it that it's an easy read. So I would recommend that book, The Business of Sustainable Wine. For people who want to just know about wine in general, I'm reading, and I love this book, it's Wine Folly. I've probably read it a couple of times, by Madeleine Pouquet. I love her style. I wish I could write with that kind of humor and ease. I guess I tend to be much more business-like, but it's a great book. Wine Folly is a really good book to learn more about wine. I'm currently reading a book called uh, Champagne Charlie, and it's about a Frenchman who came to the United States um, in the 50s and 60s to, per- to sell champagne. And his travels around the U.S. and some of his encounters. Um, so it's probably less about wine and just a fun uh, book about his life and, and how he approached the U.S. He just thought, you know, this would be a great market. So Champagne Charlie, Wine Folly, and my book, The Business of Sustainable Wine. Well, if you did, if you weren't going to plug your book, I was going to. So <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Uh, well, thanks again. I'm pretty sure this is going to be uh, my mom's uh, favorite podcast. Told her we we're talking about coffee and wine. And, and I said, and I said, those are, those are two of your favorite drugs. They are. And she said, she said, no, they're not drugs. They're food. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. That, I agree with her. Totally. The Italians say wine is food. So there you go. Yeah. It's, it's part of the meal. It's not separate. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you.